Good morning. We're going to look at a thing called holistic health. Eyes forward. Look at me, folks. Could I have my first slide, please, guys? Eyes forward. Eyes forward. Give me your full attention. When Adam was born, Adam's spirit was perfect. God made him from the clay of the ground, remember? Created him physically. And then God breathed life into him, breathed the spirit into him. So Adam, in that sense, wasn't born again. He was born. He was the first one. His spirit was alive unto God. After Adam sinned, his spirit died unto God. He still got a spirit, but that spirit has become dead towards God. And you know the story. God killed an animal and put the blood on Adam's back. And thus, everybody born after Adam, you and me included, are born with a dead spirit. And so we must be born again. You must be born again, as Nicodemus said, what, back into my mother's womb? No, you must be born again of the spirit. And the spirit that died in Adam is replaced in us. It's actually a new spirit that Christ puts in us. Now, if you say that to people, Christians will not object. They say amen. They say hallelujah. It's the next bit that's the problem. The mind bit. Because you were born not just with a broken spirit, but also with a broken mind. So just like we have to, in the first instance, all of us, our first step is to put our spirit right and to become born again. Once that's done, the second step, the second major step for us to begin to walk in salvation, not stand still in salvation, amen, that our salvation, you know, progresses. The second step is we take that spirit and we renew this mind. It's an order from God. It's not something God does. Okay? If you don't do it, it ain't going to happen. Okay? And you will be a person, listen carefully, you will be a person with a born-again spirit, but a very troubled mind. You will be a person with a born-again spirit, but who can't control their emotions. You understand? You have the, the order from God, the command from God, not just to stop at the spirit, but we love to be hyper-spiritual and we love to think, well, God will sort everything out. That is not the system. That is not the will of God or the way of God at all. Okay? Scripture is very clear. We are to love the Lord our God with all our strength, all our soul. And Jesus goes on to say, and all of your mind. He, he, he isolates it out. He pulls it out. And he specifies to you and to me that we should take extra care, extra caution to make sure that we do that. I repeat, if you don't do it, you will destined to be a pretty miserable born-again Christian. One who lives with, with, with all manner of problems and issues that are totally unnecessary, as we'll see in a moment. So there's a description of you holistically. You are body, soul, and spirit. And in this little mini-series, this week and next week, we'll look at what those things mean. Your body, basically your physical self, for the sake of this series, we'll call your soul, the mi your, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and then you've got the spirit part of you, which I mentioned earlier. So we need to, specifically I'm going to look at this, so I want you to discipline yourself not to be hyper-spiritual, not to jump back to the spirit. I don't want to do that. I want us to look 
at your mentality, at your mind. I want to look at your mental health. Don't get frightened. (laughs) I want to look at your mental health realistically, honestly, in the cold light of day, if you like. Okay? Next slide, please. Uh, Next one, please. We need to do this because Scripture screams at us that we should do it. We. Look, not me. Not just me. Who? All of us. I guarantee you, you have have friends and you have family who are disturbed mentally, right? I mean, they just don't have peace. They're anxious. They're this. They're that. You have people related to you and you're the one who's born again. And we need to be able to go into them and bring them the light. Bring them hope. Bring them a solution because we actually have the solution. We just need to be able to articulate that solution. Jesus did not just deal... We have the responsibility biblically. Jesus dealt with the whole person, correct? Body, soul, and spirit. It wasn't just physical healing. He was interested in, and he made it a point to deal holistically with people. And it's all very easy for us folks to slap people on the back and say, just pray about it. You know, God's a good God. You'll be fine. That's a bit of a cop-out, to be honest with you. It truly is. Um, It truly is. We need to get a little bit more educated, as Paul would put it, scripturally, about how we deal with people and how to help them. We have this responsibility, biblically. We have this responsibility to look after one another's mental health, historically. If you travel around the world, in many countries you go into, you will find that the first hospitals opened in that country were from Christian, you know, In Singapore, John Wesley Hospital, John Wesley School, John Wesley this. And when Christians went out as missionaries around the globe, first two things they did, schools and hospitals, education and holistic health. So we have this responsibility biblically, historically, and we have this responsibility, you have, I have, practically, whether we like it or not. Many of you used to go to the homeless in Belgrove, remember? I remember one night down there, a man came along. It was a nice summer's evening, and he had shopping bags with him. He was walking down the street, and he came through, just passed through the the evangelistic team that was there. He was very suspicious. He didn't want to know about God. I could tell, you know. (laughs) He didn't want to talk about Jesus. He didn't want me to ram it down his throat. So I just casually spoke to him about football or whatever. And he kept his bags in his hand ready to go as soon as I mention God, you know. He's just waiting for me to say it, and then I'm going. And I didn't say it. I didn't take the bait. and just had casual conversation, talk about this, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. And then you just have a little moment of quiet. And it gives me the chance. You know, and what he's thinking is, are you here for you, or are you, are you actually here for me? Yeah? And after a moment, he put the bags down, He turned to me and he said, I got divorced. (laughs) I didn't ask for that. Here he is. He's an alcoholic. He's homeless. He's walking around the city. Don't give me any more of that spirit stuff. Don't talk to me about you. That's what he's actually saying inside him. I've had a thousand people like you and nobody actually helped me. And he paused for a moment. He still wants help. He still wanted the answer. And he thought, well, I'll give it another go. Put the bags down. And what, do you know what he was saying to me? 
I wasn't like this originally, you know. And he wanted to take me right back to the beginning and say, this whole thing started when I got divorced. That's what he was saying. Everything changed for me. And we started talking and talking and talking and talking. What happened that man is just it's a very good example. What happened is, him, was he hit a, a problem he couldn't solve with his emotions and his feelings and his heartbreak over his divorce. So what did he do? He had a drink, right? Goes to the local pub or whatever. Now, as a temporary measure, you can excuse it. But he shouldn't stay there. If somebody goes to the hospital with a broken skull, Chris, we give them some painkillers, I hope, right? Until you fix it. Until you fix it. And the, 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 the painkillers are not good in the long term. And that guy simply turned to his solution. What happened? He was, he was self-medicating, they call it. He was self-medicating for a time, waiting on someone to bring him an answer so that he didn't have to stay on the painkillers. Did anybody bring the answer? Where did he end up? A homeless alcoholic who's still looking for an answer, not in the spirit, for how he controls his emotions and how he controls his mind. Are you with me? And we need to pause without being judgmental of individuals like that. I found him to be very genuine, very open, very needy, very willing. And, you know, in my situation, obviously, in the last few years, I've learned a lot. But I've learned that everybody's willing. Everybody is so willing to help. But few people have the expertise to help. That's the truth. They want to help, but they don't have the expertise to help. I, have, I am an expert in this spirit. I remember what was 17, 18 years ago. I've never done this series here, but I did a 32-part series called Warfare, which, which was a very good take on things in terms of how we conquer in the spirit. Churches are experts in the spirit, right? But we're not good with the mind. <laughs> we're even suspicious of it. We don't like it. You start talking about mental health and mental illnesses, and I don't know if I want to deal with that. I don't even know if I want to talk about that. Are you with me? There's like a stigma that surrounds that. We stigmatize things that we think have no place with us. We stigmatize things that we think will never be a part of us. Like the asylum seekers in Calais. You can watch TV and you can stigmatize them, thinking, well, that will never be me. That's got nothing to do with me. That's totally different from me. We stigmatize things that we think... We are totally free from and totally separated from. And that is a very cruel thing to do because we're all in the same boat here, right? So I would like us as churches, this church and our other churches, to become much more skilled, professionally skilled, I mean, in terms of understanding our own psyche and thus be able to help others, which is that's the very word that's used in Scripture, actually, okay, for our mind, understanding our mind, unraveling it and being able to help people not just in a hyper-spiritual way but through their everyday challenges and experiences. And in order to do that, I would like us to take a much broader view of mentally, uh, mental illness. To take the broadest possible view. We have no problem doing that with a physical illness. If someone breaks their finger, okay, they've got a physical illness. If someone has cancer or something serious, a massive battle, it's on the spectrum 
off a physical illness. Amen? Amen. It's all in the same spectrum. And so if I break my finger, in fact, this happened to me. They put me in a sling for about three days and I saw a guy with a neck brace. I immediately had empathy with him, you know. I was actually, you know, on the move at the time. But I wanted to go over the, to the guy and say, hey, did you break? You know, what's that? I got this. What did you do? And there was an empathy within me because I saw myself on the same spectrum. His, his um, injury was much more serious than mine. So there's no stigma between me and him. You follow me? But see with the mental things. Oh, yeah, big stigma. Even though we, are, we ourselves suffer with issues mentally, we want to create a barrier between us and other people. We want to say, like the asylum seekers, well, we will never be like them. There's nothing in me that has anything to do with that. And there's a great need for caution here. Because the very people who would stigmatize are the very same people who struggle mentally in a myriad of ways. Next slide, please. Next one, please. In a myriad of ways. Pastor prayed for me here. On, I asked you to pray for me on Friday night, and he just came up here. Listen to this, folks. You came up here. You picked up the mic. I said, pray for me that God will help me help people with their mental health. He comes forward, starts to pray. I get a word from the Lord. Instantly, instantly, God spoke to me. You know, scary. And God said this to me, stress causes sicknesses. What? Tell them, stress causes sicknesses, can cause sicknesses. Okay, there's good stress and bad stress. Bad stress. And I, you know you get the interpretation when you get a word. I instantly knew what it meant. Do you know what it meant? There are people here, you, and some of you are tolerating ongoing stresses and strains. You tolerate mental instabilities, worries, stresses, anxieties. You let it continue for not just years, but decades. True? <laughs> true? Oh, yes, it's true. I'll say amen. Oh, yes, it's true. And God is warning. Listen carefully, folks. God, that was a warning on Friday. God was saying, listen, if you don't learn to deal with those mental stresses, eventually they will catch up with you in this way and that, and you can end up with actually physical sicknesses because of it. Right? So be careful, folks. That was a word to me for you. A word for me as well. It's a word for us. Be careful to keep your mental health good and strong as Scripture would have it be. So what are mental illnesses? You can call them whatever you want, conditions. Illnesses, I think, is, a, is an old catch term that we can use. If someone is prone to mood swings, we have many of you are prone to mood swings. You get sudden changes. That's not right, is it? Now, that can be mental, spiritual, or physical. The origin of that problem could be one of the three. It could be two of the three. It could be all three. I'll come to that in a moment. We need to be able to analyze if I'm having these massive mood swings on any regular basis whatsoever, then there's some sort of problem going on in my head that I need to be able to put right. Amen. Anxiety. Goodness knows the world can make you, you know, very anxious today. People get stuck in worry. Worry, worry, worry. 
Non-stop worry. Worry about money. Worry about relationships. Worry about this. Worry about that. And that can become an illness, physically, mentally, or it can be a spiritual attack. It could be any one of the three, but we need to know which one it is. Scrupulosity, a big word. It just means being overly fussy. Okay? Wanting everything just right. That's a terrible way to be. Isn't it? You know, people who have to have everything just perfect all the time. And, you know, life becomes like a robot. Everything's got to be just so. That's not a nice way to live your life, friend. Not a nice way to live your life, but that's just the way some people are raised and the way they end up living their lives, and it's a, it's a tragedy. There's fears. I mean, there's fears everywhere. Have you got any idea the number of people, Christians in churches, when they get a one-to-one, they want to talk to me privately, have you got any idea the number of people who come up to me and say, Nobody likes me. (laughs) Nobody likes me in this church. Uh, I'm odd, I am. I'm weird, I'm different. Everybody likes everybody else, but they don't like me. What's that? Fear. That's coming out of a fear. And though you need, just like that man said, I got divorced, you need to be able to trace the thing back to its origin. Very often that type of statement comes from sibling rivalry. Brother and brother, sister against sister, when the parents prefer one child. And the child grows up attempting every single thing they can think of to get the favor of their parents. And they still don't get it. Such a child can grow up to an adult who projects rejection everywhere they go. They see it in everything. Every action, everything. I've had this. I'm sure you have as well. People say, oh, you did that because I didn't do that because of that. What are you thinking about? The things that people hold in their minds. Honestly, destructive things. Amen? Amen. So don't let these fears or being overly fussy, we should be able to relax in the spirit and enjoy our lives, right? Not be full of fears and depression, of course. Eating disorders are absolutely huge. For nearly 20 years, this church has taken in a fresh batch of Strathclyde students every year. And it's a precious ministry. This year is the last year. But since I took over here 12 years ago, nearly every year we've had one, two, or three people with eating disorders. It's normally bulimia. And wasn't it two terms back or three terms back, I turned to the leaders and I said, do you know what? This is the first batch with nobody with an eating disorder. And within two weeks, one of them came forward. They had a bulimia. Yeah. It's a huge thing, you know. And we can put that aside, but the, the, you know, the, that is emanating out of our mind. It's emanating out of the way we see things, the way we're thinking about ourselves, demeaning ourselves, etc., etc. People can struggle with bad thoughts, bad dreams, or compulsions. Compulsions are huge. If I am doing compulsion here, if I am doing things I don't want to do, I've got a problem, right? I need to be able to conquer that. If I'm doing things in my life that I don't want to do, I need to be able to change that. I've gone to war on my diet, for example, for the last about eight or nine months. And I'll share it next week about the physical side of this, body, soul, and spirit. Um, but I tell you, folks, I can testify that it, I've changed. And the compulsion for chocolate or for this or that, it kind of dies, You change. 
guess what changed? <laughs> ah, oh, definitely. Absolutely, definitely. It was my mind that changed and the compulsions kind of lose their control. They lose their grip on me and that's fantastic. It gives me liberty, gives me freedom. So anything that is, you know, displeasing to God or displeasing to you that you find yourself compelled to do, you need to stop and think about that thing and trace back its mental origins. We've got fear of death. Goodness me, I've got a few people I'm dealing with on this at the moment, you know. But this, is a, this is a real big thing. It's a real big issue for people. Some people have an absolute terror of death. I'm not frightened of death at all. Christians shouldn't be frightened of death, right? And, and when you are frightened of death, there's probably something wrong with the way you're thinking, right? We should be, it's something to welcome and something to be embraced. We've got phobias and control. Control is absolutely huge. The control factor, not so much with men, it's women. Sorry, guys, <laughs> but it's women. You don't even get three chapters into the Bible and God gives a great... Okay, listen to this. Here's a question for you. Adam sinned. What was the curse on Adam? Part of it, good, okay. Death. Okay? Because you sinned, now your years will be three score years and ten. Death is the curse from God Almighty upon Adam because he sinned. What, that's man, mankind. What was the woman's curse? And pain is minor. <laughs> what was the woman's curse? Your desire will be to rule over men, but they will rule over you. And that tension, that angst, was in the book of Genesis right from the beginning that womankind had this to live with. She had to learn to deal with it every day. And all the wives said, mm, yeah, I know. <laughs> Right? Control and learning to, to, to deal with that control factor. I'm telling you folks, yes, by all means it can be spiritual. But it's often just plain old mental. It's my mindset. It's my upbringing. It's what I've learned to be like. And it needs to break for a healthy life. Can you say amen, guys? Amen. Don't resist it. The happiest women I have ever met on this earth are the ones who don't control. What are you laughing at, John? <laughs> he's, he's grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> but but it, it's true. The happiest women on earth are the women who have learned to deal with this and let it go and not have the, the most unhappy, stressed out, miserable individuals are those who seek to control. Because you know what? You will get what you want and then you won't want it. Hello? Amen. Ladies? If you seek to control, you will get what you want and then you will not want it. You will not be happy with it. That is the result of control. So be careful of it. Watch it because it's really, if, you, if, you, if I was doing a one, two, three, four, control would be right up there in the top three for me. Okay? But the answer may be not where you think it is, you know? So, anything else on here? Eating, oh yeah, overthinking. This is a huge issue particularly with white people, not so much the black community, not so much the Asian community. See this message. I'll give you an example. I can't preach this in London. There's mostly a black church. They don't know what you know, I'm talking about. You guys are localized, and it makes sense to you. But, or even in Singapore. What are you talking about? We're fine. 
It's just hard to get into some cultures, but in Europe, we tend to think more, right? It's true. We tend to think more, tend to live more in our heads, you know, than other parts of the world. America is the same, but not all parts of the world are like that. But we certainly are like that. And overthinking can become a huge problem, right? The number of people that I have sat in this hall with, and we have agreed that we've got solution on a problem and we have peace. And they're smiling and I'm smiling and they go out that door and within one day, they're back to crazy behavior again. Overthinking. Overthinking. Not, not able somehow to let things lie. It's a trait, okay? It's a personality trait. It's a very dangerous thing. And that leads to paranoia, basically. That's the end result of it, Okay? So be careful, folks. Identify yourself on the screen. I'm there in many forms, right? I've worked my way through those, back and forward, up and down. Are they mental, spiritual, or physical? I repeat, they could be all three. They could be one of the three. could be any one of these. Jeanette, I, oh, this was a terrible time for me. About, about a year ago, I left her in the home. She was quiet. She was fine. And I went away, and I came back on the Monday, and I went in, and she was crazy. She was trying to break the windows. Oh, she was so distraught, and I was totally beside myself with pain watching her. And thank God the doctor came, her own GP came, and came in, and so calm, so wonderful, so professional, GP looked down the car, saw Jeanette, and just quietly, with great confidence, turned to me and said, oh, that will be a urine infection. So I, th- I thought, what? I'll get antibiotics. She and she goes and rings boots, you know, for antibiotics. And I'm standing there thinking, my wife is screaming. She's trying to break the windows. She doesn't need an antibiotic. She's an antipsychotic, huh? She, she, she's going off her mind. Is this mental? Is it spiritual? I thought that. I thought that's a demon trying to attack her. Is it mental? Is it spiritual? The doctor says it's physical. So, she got this high-powered antibiotic, and in just a few hours, she was back to normal. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't mental. It wasn't spiritual. It was just a physical thing. She needed that infection you know, to subside within her, and then she came back to normal. I thought, well, thank God for that. Such a simple solution. But as born-again Christians, we always tend to the spiritual. That's my point. Now, no problem with that. We keep the spirit. I'll come to that in a moment. We keep the spirit, but we must learn to deal with the mind and to recognize the mind just like that doctor did with her training. Her training gave her the expertise to identify the source, mental, spiritual, or physical, and she correctly diagnosed and the patient was made well. Amen. Amen. And so we must be able to do the same thing. We need to be able to look at people like the bag man down at Belgrove, We need to be able to look at ourselves and identify with honesty what the root of our problems are. And for the sake of this series, particularly problems of a mental nature. We need to destigmatize it. My sister's got schizophrenia. She was in hospital many, many times. I'm very close to her. Probably Jeanette number one and Patricia number two in the whole earth. Very, very close to her. We always were as children. I don't know why, because there's nine kids. But we kind of just 
matched, I guess. And it's incredibly painful for me to think about her situation. Uh, And it's not easy to help her either, that's for sure. Next slide, please. Who among us then is at risk? God says stress leads to sicknesses. Who among us is at risk of developing mental trauma, mental illnesses, mental instabilities, call it what you will? Well, the kids among us, there's a huge rise in that, in uh, trauma amongst our young people. How many years ago? About seven years ago, we were going away on a trip. We drove over the Erskine Bridge very early in the morning, like half four, going to the airport. I had my car, so it must have been a weekend trip. Uh, Myself and Jeanette got to the airport. I went away, and I came back the following week only to read an article in the newspaper that two children had thrown themselves off the Erskine Bridge. Half an hour after, we had just driven over. I saw. I thought, I was on the bridge. I was on the. We were going to the airport. We're going to the airport. And those two kids walked out of a care home. How can you do that at 15? How can you stand on that bridge at 15? Whatever help they needed, they obviously didn't find it. Jesus Christ would have been able, amen, amen. to walk up and to nail the point. To give them the solution, he would have said the things that needed said. He can heal every situation. Amen. He would be, but it would have been, I guarantee you, a situation of identifying the real problem. He would have put his finger on the problem and that would have been their freedom. But these poor kids and kids all over the world, I know in Ireland the suicide statistics are huge. Absolutely huge. You know? So children are at great risk. Our youth are at great risk. They, you know what youth are like. They have massive identity crisis, you know. I'll deal with that next week in terms of our food because it has a part to play in that. But the youth are in, are, are, are in huge difficulties and stresses and strains today, probably more than any prior generation. Folks, eyes forward, listen. If one person in your home has got mental stresses and strains, the whole family suffers. Correct? Shh, Gordon. <laughs> if one person has mental stresses or mental strains, it will put a, a tremendous pressure on your home, on your family, and other people end up having to carry that and carry that for years sometimes. Right? We need to face the truth, face the reality, and deal with it. Who is at danger of suffering these things? Midlifers, people 35 to 55. How does this manifest in them? Buy, 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 right? Buy as much as we can. Retail therapy. Achieve, achieve, achieve. And when you see people in that kind of catchment, caught in that, it's just a diversion. That's all it is. It's just escapism. Because does that make you happy? No. It doesn't make you happy. Sooner or later, you have to come back to the problem. The earth is not enough. What's the James Bond movie? The world is not enough. If I gave you the whole world, friend, it wouldn't replace God. And God is worth more than the whole world. And peace with God is the only thing you really need anyway. That's what you need. You need peace with God. You don't need things. Don't store up wealth on earth where moth and dust and thief break in to steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and get the kingdom into your heart. 
But midlife is a very tricky time for many. And they can get sidetracked and lost in the whole train of life. Life takes them instead of them taking life. Who suffers from, can suffer and can be vulnerable? The elderly, Isabel, in that ministry. What a ministry. I love that ministry. But people who are in, in the care homes that we visit, and not, not just there, but people here, people on their own, struggling, isolated. How does it manifest itself? Depression and apathy and death. Because people give up. And it's important to, to acknowledge that to recognize it and give people space and time. Who is vulnerable to these things? People in crisis. People who are going through moments or traumas in their life that they need to get through. That is a very vulnerable time and you need to be able to take the right turning, right? You need to be able to face that thing head on and deal with it appropriately, deal with it properly, deal with it biblically. Okay, the answers are there, but we have to be willing to take them. Now, having said all that, I know what Christians are like. <laughs> having said all that, I know that many of you will sit there and say, not me. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. What I'm saying is we need to have the mechanisms to keep ourselves in tip-top state, physically, spiritually, and mentally. And in order to do that, we need to know our own workings internally, as Scripture has described them, and then we need to be able to help the people who walk through that door. Who prayed that last night? I think it was both Nom and Everson, right? That people walk in. Listen to me, folks. People walk in with problems. They're not in a wheelchair. But they're in a mental wheelchair. They're stuck with this problem and that problem. And it's, it's heartbreaking. They walk in and they look around. And, you know, they're having a little bit of a, a search. Any help? I don't, think, I don't think I can get. Okay, see you guys. What were you looking for? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. True? Amen. They're looking for help. And we can live in cuckoo land, to be honest. We live in cuckoo land and not see the problems, see the problems prophetically. Gordon, thank you for challenging us on Friday. If you were here Friday, at the end of the meeting, Gordon got up and he, he, he said to everybody, if you can go on the evangelism, go, just go. I had a very busy day yesterday. I was out all day. I had to get down to Jeanette twice. And uh, I'm preaching this afternoon. I had to write that message. I had to do many other things. But I, I just felt convicted when he shared that. I thought, you know what? If I start silencing that conviction, where am I going to end up? Huh? I'm going to go down. So I got a little slot. It was only about an hour, an hour and a half. And I went down and it really, what was I like, John? <laughs> I, it, it broke me, didn't it? It completely destroyed me. I gave out about 600 tracks, but this, so I'm very prophetic, very, very prophetic. And there's been but four instances where people were going to die and I intervened and their lives were saved or they did die because people wouldn't listen. So I've had warning of death several times, provable, provable. And this woman walked up she was talking with her friend. They were going on the train in Queen Street. And I had the leaflet. And she happily smiled and she took the leaflet. But I tell you what, I had a crystal clear word from God. He's as good as dead. The walking dead. She's happy going about. 
You know, it was so clear. I began to cry. I stepped out of the street. I prayed for her. You know, Jesus. Jesus. I'm glad I went. That's my point. I'm glad I went. God wants to save the dying, amen? Wants to give them a chance to get saved. I could give you many testimonies like that where I've seen something and God just warns. Remember the youth club in Dublin? We had about 15 youth. We didn't know them. They all came in. And when they were leaving, they were all pretty normal to us. It was our introduction. Got to know their names. They walked outside. I grabbed Jeanette. I said, see that guy there? He's going to die. And we're going to pray and we're going to stop him. He's only about 15, 16 years old. About three, four weeks later, they carried his body and they dumped it at the door of our church. And we were inside praying at the time. Uh, And we came out and there he was. And he was completely lifeless. We thought he was dead. Everybody thought he was dead. And the ambulance came and they did something or whatever and he came back. And I thought, that's prayer. (laughs) That's prayer right there. But see that death thing, I've had that many times and I thank God for it because it's a, you need to pray for those people. You need to, God's showing you something. Intervene. Use your prayer power. Stress causes sicknesses. That's a prophecy. That's prophetic. That's a warning. It's a warning, you see? Just like with that boy, I saw the future. Just like with that woman on Saturday, I can see your future. And for us as a congregation, I warn you, stress causes sicknesses, bad stress. And you need to deal with it because the end result can be terrible. So deal with your mental issues. But people will still say, not me. It doesn't apply to me. I'm fine. I'm okay. And we just ignore the heat or refuse to heed the warnings of God. Look at Isaiah a moment. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. This is a wonderful, wonderful piece of scripture here. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. This is talking about you. Isaiah 50, 10. Who among you fears the Lord? Who? Hands up. You do. That's right. I do. Who among you fears the Lord? And you obey the word of his servant. That's me. You guys are fantastic. Very obedient people. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and in the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Your mind has got no sleep. Thank you. Take a look up here, folks. When I go to London, I get off in Terminal 5 and we are underground. We're in darkness. I get on the underground train. And for the first about 10 stops, you don't know where you are. And when you're underground, you need the little map. Because I look at the map and it tells me where I am. We're here, we're there. And then all of a sudden, the train comes up above town, up above ground. And the light comes in and you don't so much need this as much because it's written on the station. And I know where I am. The whole journey does not have light. Some parts of the journey... You go underground, then you come back up, then you go underground, then you come back up. As soon as you go into darkness, you need the map. As soon as you're up, it's plain to see. For many of you, your lives thus far have been above ground. Hallelujah. (laughs) But this scripture warns believers, who is he that fears me? We do. Who is he that is obedient? We are, Lord. Let him be warned of this. 
times of darkness do come. Times in your life when it will not be clear where you are, what's happening, why it's happening. Let them remember this. And at that time, what does it say? Let them trust in God. Let them remember their God. Let them not give up on their God. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So for all of us, folks, whether we like it or not, for all of us, these things are part and parcel of life. That's what it is. Part and parcel of life. And the better equipped we are to deal with it and to cope with it, the the easier a passage in one sense we shall have. The goal of this mini-series is that we would create within our own abilities, within this church and within our, our lives, if you like, a Christian triage. I think I've got that slide there. A Christian triage. If you go to the hospital, an accident, an emergency. Is there a slide before that? Sorry, just one slide. That's it. I spent about 35 hours or so in triage in the last seven or eight weeks with Jeanette. And it's been fascinating. It's been a real eye-opener for me, standing there and watching how everybody works. But a hospital triage is, is, the word is a French word, triere, and it means to sort. To sort out, to select, to segregate in order of importance. So if you can imagine 10 ambulances arrive at the hospital, the triage unit does this. Who's the most important patient? Who's closest to death? Who do we need to act upon? Number one. Secondly, we need to make an assessment of that person, exactly what is wrong with them. Okay? And thirdly, we need to prioritize the order of treatment. What's the first thing they need done? That's the purpose of triage. (sighs) What a place. What a place. We need this for Christians. (laughs) Right? Next slide, please. Thanks, guys. We need this for Christians. So when a Christian comes in this back door, when your family members ring you, and they've been searching for a solution for years, most often people don't want to talk about it anymore, you know? They don't want to talk about it. Ask a thousand Christians. All they say is, oh, hallelujah. God will sort it out. (laughs) You know? Hyper-spiritual answer. One that does no good at all, really. Not no good at all. A little bit encouraging and everything. And there's truth in it. I was down with Jim and Susan this week. I went down to see them. And Susan said, because they're in a traumatic situation, just like me. And Susan said one statement that I... It just helped me. It was just insightful. Uh, It was this. She said, Pastor Mike, everybody is incredibly kind. And I say the same. Everybody's incredibly kind. But what people don't realize, we need professional help. I thought that is just, I say amen and amen and amen. We need professional help to deal with these things. As Christians, we need to be I'm going back to college on Thursday to do a a degree course in psychotherapy. I don't need to do that. I'm busy enough. I've got to go here, there, and everywhere. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it so that I don't just have the physical. I don't just have the spiritual. But I'll take it serious. And I do take it very serious. I will also have the ability, at least to some degree, to help people professionally, if I can, to the best of my ability. Are you with me? I wish it was as simple as, you know, ABC and we could just prescribe and let them go. But it's not. And and, and people do need to be, in some sense, deconstructed and reconstructed and put back on the road in a healthy state. 
And in order to do that, we need to have the, the skills involved. So that's Christian triage on the screen right there. Someone comes in. Or maybe you come to me this morning and say, well, you know, I've got a problem and I want to talk about it. What would you say to me? Well, I say to you what I would say to any person who comes in this door, in this church, with a mental stress. I'm talking about that only today, okay? Number one, are you saved? They need to be saved. That's the first step. We need to get that piece sorted out, right? We need to ask that. If they're not saved, they're not going to respond to the treatment that God gives them biblically. Secondly, if there's a problem in their lives of some sort, I need to ask the questions that Jesus asked. Is sin the origin of the problem? And if I can be blunt, folks, some of you are struggling with mental issues right now, and sin is the origin of it. Because you won't stop gossiping, you won't stop this, you won't stop that. You've been doing it for years. And it is an open door. It's an open door to this or to that. Amen? It's true. Is sin the origin? And Jesus would walk up to people who were sick and he would nail them on the problem, wouldn't he? This happened because of that. That happens because of this. And I know that's hard for people to take. But I, I find that when it's the prophetic, people are great. When you're on the, you know, the spot, people tend to be very responsive and say, thank God. Sin is, can cause many sicknesses, particularly mental strains and stresses in our lives. And physical illnesses, of course. You all know, well, you don't all know, but there was a lady in this church for years called Linda Murray. I thought she was a fantastic person. She's a bit of a hero of mine, simply because she was so truthful, so honest, and the whole family are the same, aren't they? Agnes lives beside them. They were very funny. Of all the houses you visit, you know, that house for me was particularly nice because there was no pretension. Not pretentious at all. You just get it between the eyes from Linda. Oh, yeah, every time. Whatever she thinks, she'll just say it straight to you. I like that. Linda got cancer. She was diagnosed with cancer, and I went to visit them. It was my, I'd been away. I got down there as soon as I could. I turned up, and Marie was there. Jamie was there. Linda was there. Myself and Jeanette came in and sat down, and they were talking. And I think it was Marie turned to me, and she said, Pastor Mike, we're all shocked. <laughs> we're all so shocked. Now, you see, as a pastor, you cannot let that go. That's a crazy statement. You can't let that go. Because if you let it go, those guys are going to get bitter and twisted. They're going to blame God. They're going to blame everything. And I had to interject. And I said, listen, guys, please forgive me. But I am not shocked. Because Linda has been smoking like a trooper for the last 30. You've been smoking for 30 years. People who smoke often get cancer. So I am not shocked. Now, you make a statement like that. A few days after your, this mum has just been diagnosed, you're either going to get punched and thrown through the window or you're going to get a high five. I got a high five. Hallelujah. And they all kind of, it broke the tension in the room. It broke the tension completely. They thought, oh, that's true. That's true. It, you, it, that's a major issue, Linda, in your past and you need to repent of it and then pray. And they embraced that. Amen. So you need to be honest about the origin. Of whatever stresses and strains. Oh, dear me. I could do five weeks on this slide, I tell you. I, I come from Belfast. I have a friend who his ancestry are heavily involved in the IRA. Heavily involved in murder. And that guy has not been involved in the IRA at all. He's, he'd, he had nothing to do with him. But his forefathers, going back in the recent past, 
were mass murderers. They were very high up in the IRA. And he is, he's just really sick in the head. He's a very sick man, very sick mentally. And I got quite close to him. I got to know him well. But you know what? He would never reject the practices of his forefathers. He would never, he's, he's like a Republican in, you know, in not a good way at all. You know, and I would sit with him and I know the origin. You're you're a bit loopy here because of your forefathers. Murder often leads to insanity. You know that down the family line. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And here you have a guy who has blood on the hands of his ancestors and he is struggling mentally, I believe, because of that you know, bad, those bad doings in his family tree. I'm, I've got a point to make. He's refusing to break the line. He's refusing to break the ancestral curse and get it off his back. And then he can be free. But he doesn't want to do that. My forefathers were right. No, they weren't right. They weren't right. You need to drop it. No, they were right. And so he keeps that insanity is what it is. It's absolutely insanity. And some of you, there were habits and ways with your parents that you know are not right. Correct? And someone, someone, I was a Catholic. I was brought up a Catholic. Devoutly Catholic with both my mum and my dad. And when I got baptized, you know the story. Five years I was in the cold. With my mother saying to me, you know, when she got me on my own. <laughs> you are a disgrace to this family. And I will never tell anybody about you because of what you have done in leaving the Catholic Church. And you have destroyed your father. But you see, it's my ancestry. And I have to say, do you know what, Mum? And she, I remember her saying, your grandmother, your this, your that. They all, I, I know, that was the problem. And I'm not going to continue with this. So I will be breaking this tradition right here, right now. To get used to it. It took them five years to get used to it. Some of you struggle with mental issues because your parents practice things wrongly. And you need to make a decision who you serve. Amen. Amen. And break those things off and you too can be free. But if you say, oh, they were right and they were wrong, you're going to keep that thing with you. And you need to drop it. What is the source or the entry point? Of the illness could be the devil. Like with Job. Job did nothing wrong as such. But the devil tormented him. Remember? If it's the, if it, eyes forward. If it's sin. If, it's salva- if you're not saved. You need to get saved. If it's sin. You need to repent. And turn away from the sin. If it's ancestry. You need to set yourself. Reject it. Reject the ways that were wrong. If it's the devil. You need to resist him. But you need to do a triage. You need to make an assessment of what is going wrong in my mind. What is going wrong in my life? And where was the origin of that? Like the bag man's divorce. Where did this all start? And how am I going to begin to put it right? And before I would let them leave Christian triage, I would make sure that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And tell them it's not just all spiritual. We get born again. And then we work on our mind. You're working on your mind for your entire life, folks. For the rest of our lives, we'll be working to keep it right, to keep it straight. Okay? Now, I am well aware how sensitive this topic is. 
tonight we're going to put the seats in a circle. Listen carefully. Tonight, nobody can ask anybody any questions in this place. If you want to come and sit and say nothing and just observe, I will protect you. You don't have to say anything. I'm not going to ask you anything. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Okay? If you want to say something, you can just say something. That's your choice. But I don't want you to feel pressurized or embarrassed. You will not be embarrassed. You will be protected. Okay? So don't be afraid. Tonight we will just open up amongst ourselves and begin to talk about the mental issues that we have. Some people have volunteered to do that already among us. They said, well, I would like to share the stresses that I had and have. And I want to talk about them. Unfortunately, I had a friend coming along, but I've had to go to England. And it's a lady with depression. And I particularly wanted her to come because she's still got depression. I didn't want someone who was healed. I wanted someone who's not healed, but is still standing and still fighting. That's the specific testimony I wanted. And I wanted hers because she has a wonderful line in her testimony where she says, men have been useless to me. <laughs> I thought it was a great testimony. Very honest, you know. I haven't found the solution there at all. And I'll, maybe later in the year we'll be able to do that. I have one last slide. Mervyn, could you play for us? I have one last slide here. And this is particularly important to me. I think we read this on Friday night. Look at this. Have I got the scripture right? Yeah, Philippians, you know this one. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and thus so somehow attaining to resurrection. God help us. Hiya. Where do you want to begin? <laughs> Eyes forward, please. How can I put it? Tonight, I want us to have the deepest form of fellowship that it's possible to have. Some of you hardly have any fellowship at all. There are different levels of fellowship. The lowest level is this. Hi, bye. The people who arrive late deliberately because they don't want to talk to anyone and they leave early deliberately because they don't want to talk to anyone because they have social anxiety, they have mental issues, they've got things troubling them and they can't face reality. Hi, bye, gone like a rocket. That is a crisis. And it's one we need to solve. So come early. Don't stay at this level. This is fear. This is people feeling judged because they have stresses in their mind. Nobody understands me. Nobody likes me. They think I'm weird. They think I'm odd. We're all in the same boat, folks. Okay? It's called fellowship. Fellowship, same boat. Fellowship. Paul says, I want to be found in the same boat as uh, Jesus Christ. So, the lowest form is the high by, and it's a sign of trouble that needs to be solved. A higher level is when we are able to sit with our brothers and sisters and do like the root study 
That's a level of fellowship. That's a good level of fellowship. But it's not the ultimate level. It's a level where we can sit and we can actually converse and talk and we're not afraid. We share opinions. That's a great thing. The next level of fellowship is, is the area of your service. We're like the worship team. When you learn to fellowship amongst each other, if I can't be part of a team, I've got a problem. I'm not fellowshipping. I'm not able. Something's wrong with my ability mentally, socially, to actually interact with other people. Are you with me? Amen? The elderly ministry, the evangelism team, we need to be able to function not running to hide at a biblical level and at a social level and whatever anxiety is there, it needs to be confronted so that you can grow in your ministry. But the highest level of fellowship is what Paul calls, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Wow. Wow, that's a very brave prayer. That's a very brave prayer from Paul. It's a prayer of understanding. It's a prayer of insight. Paul knows something you don't know. Paul sees something. Has anyone here suffered? Anybody suffered? Is anyone suffering? Paul says, I want that. (laughs) I'll have some more of that, please. How crazy is that? What are you talking about, Paul? You know, in my life, obviously, I'm undergoing immense suffering. And you have to learn and you have to seek God for why and how. What does this all mean? What does it mean? I'll tell you what it means. If you're suffering, listen to this. My sister has schizophrenia. I haven't got schizophrenia. But I love my sister. And I tried everything that I knew to help her. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I did everything. But I haven't got schizophrenia. And in the end, she joined the schizophrenia fellowship. And she was able to go into that place and meet others. Oh, you've got what I've got. And there was an instant connection. They understood each other. I was sharing with Jim. I was on the airplane coming back. And I'd never prayed this prayer before. Uh, you know, with Jeanette and everything else and all the, all the suffering I've been through, I was sitting on the plane and I prayed this prayer. I said, God, wouldn't it be terrible if she has to suffer like this and I have to suffer like this and nobody benefits? <laughs> so sitting there in my little plane seat, I prayed this prayer. God, I give you all the suffering and I give you my life to use. Use me to help other people who are also suffering. I get off the plane, I get in a taxi, and I just pick up in my spirit that the taxi driver's a very unhappy man. So it was late at night. I said, is this your last trip? And he just dismissed me. Oh, whatever. Oh, touchy. <laughs> so I said, okay, just drop it. And after a little while, he turned and he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just get fed up of talking to people. I've got problems. It's my wife, you know. She's disabled. And I look after her. And when it comes up with passengers, they don't know. Nobody understands this thing. Oh. Sometimes you pray a prayer, you get a very quick answer. I said, you know what? That's amazing you should say that. And we were able to converse. And sit. And he dropped me off, you know, just that little moment of silence. Well, you actually don't have to say anything, do you? 
because you understand what I understand, you know what I know. It's experiential. Amen. That's why we're in the world. We're in the world to share with people their sufferings. Now, I give you that example to give you this example. God the Father sent His Son to die on a cross, beaten, whipped, and crucified. The Lord of glory. Huh? The Lord of glory. Eternally with the Father, right? Eternally in heaven. And He has to come to earth and suffer like that. Who can... Who can have fellowship with God then? Who can fellowship with God? If you're a God who's suffered that much, who on earth can know you? Oh, only someone who also suffered. And the Apostle Paul was whipped five times, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, And in the end, he figured it out. (sighs) I'm writing a thing at home at the moment called Lonely God. And it's the fact that God being a, a being, you know, a being, a living being, has suffered immensely. And it can be a lonely God if others can't have fellowship. Same boat. And in some ways, Paul was chosen to suffer and that's an honor but you have to understand the honor you have to accept the honor you have to be disciplined in that honor in many places in Hebrews when it talks about them being sawn in two it calls it a privilege because then they would know God better oh Lord no wonder they said I will embrace my sufferings You look back over your life, you know, you, sometimes it's nice to have known someone, someone famous, someone special, someone important to you. And you think, you know, I'm really glad I knew that person. I'm really glad they were in my life. But God can be in our lives. At an immeasurably deep way. And I invite you to take another, have another take on your suffering. Look at it again. But this time, say, do you know what? This helps me know him. (laughs) This helps me know him. Hallelujah.